0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Living With Power Hope Podcast. My name is Lena Ebijemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called The Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith, no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that we'll cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithbower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach, Uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. All right, guys, this is uh, lesson seven in our series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. And we are in Numbers chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, I usually have it right here. Uh, You can turn to it, or if you're a a phone Bible person, turn over there. I think it's uh, important to read through and and sort of uh, follow along. I'm gonna be reading some of the passage, but before I get into it, uh, the title of today's teaching is When My Faith Looks Ridiculous At, At Best. When My Faith Looks Ridiculous At Best. Uh, if, if you have walked at all uh, in faith with the Lord, then you know that most of what God promises is sort of like, wow, like I can't even wrap my mind around it. But by faith, we uh, believe it. And 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 yet, when the things uh, that we long for and God speaks uh, through his word to us about certain things, maybe some of you have gotten promises from God about your marriages or about your, um, uh, your ministry uh, and about serving the Lord and about using your talents for the Lord. However, Whatever it is that God is moving in your heart, maybe you've you've also uh, had some uh, words that God has given you about our country and and what's going on in in, in the in, in now and in the future. Whatever it is that God may have spoken to you in your life, uh, I know that we've spent time in the series talking about sort of distinguishing the general promises of God versus the specific promises of God. For me, there are many of those. But as we walk by faith, even the basics of believing God, sort of eternity and what's to come, and uh, so much of Scripture is sort of beyond unbelievable except for the gift of faith that God has given us. And so uh, we approach Numbers 13 with a challenge to believe something that looks impossible to the naked eye. And we're going to see the power of our perspective and how God can inf- use basically um, his word. We're going to get into this in a minute and see how God can use that to help us to stand strong in faith. And out of uh, 12 people that we're going to look at, two are going to stand by faith and 10 are going to uh, flounder in disbelief and The entire series, we're looking at this uh, concept of believing God no matter what and standing strong in faith no matter what. And, And today, particularly in those areas in our lives where it just looks ridiculous to believe God. It would be easier not to believe God. It would be easier to fear and panic. It happened to the people of Israel. Again, we're walking through this history of the people of Israel, starting with Adam and Eve. Really, they were not the people of Israel. They were our ancestors, our forefathers, the first two people who were put on the earth by the Lord, created by God, but then really the call of Abraham and and sort of that story of Abraham moving into the patriarchs. And, and we looked at Moses last week. And now we're sort of taking it through with Moses and the people of Israel who become very much like us. There are people like us who believe God, but they're struggling with their faith. And when things go well, they believe God good. And when things go bad, they flounder in faith. And their story is given to us to look at them and to learn from them and to and to not make the mistakes that they're making. And so today, um, spies are being sent, 12 spies are being sent into Canaan. And this is about a year into leaving Egypt after the plagues and the Passover and uh, the people of Israel were let go by Pharaoh. And of course, by God's grace through uh, Moses' leadership and and Aaron, and they came and and they took on Pharaoh and they left Egypt. And then they, uh, soon after leaving Egypt, faced the Red Sea. And God again showed uh, the people of Israel his mighty, awesome strength. And so they have had this journey with God. Uh, Even if they didn't have it growing up, they've seen it from the time they left Egypt and the Plagues and all that happened there to the Red Sea. to After the Red Sea, God was leading them by a cloud by day and by a fire by night, and then manna came. And so, over and over and over again, God is showing them who He is, revealing His goodness to them. But we start to detect a pattern of disbelief, a pattern of complaining, and it's gonna come through. In fact, leading up to Numbers 13, I just jotted sort of all of these awesome things that have happened the plagues, the Red Sea, cloud, fire, manna, water from the rock, but also in Numbers chapter 11, we have an incident that isn't so good. It's a challenging incident where the people of Israel are craving meat. They're sick of manna. God gives them their daily bread, food, over and over and over again. Every day God provides, but they don't like what God has given. And so they start complaining in Numbers 11, before we get to where we are tonight. And so um, they start complaining so much that God just has it. And he said, enough, and he gives them quail, what they've been asking for. And of course, it turns into a horrible day where many die, it becomes a plague to them. And so they kind of have this, again, they, they see the punishment of God, they repent, they change. And then, um, and then Miriam and Aaron, they turn on Moses. And so this is all leading up to where we're gonna land today. Miriam and Aaron challenge Moses in, in uh, Numbers chapter 12. And God also reveals himself as a friend to Moses. And he t- puts leprosy on Miriam and Moses forgives her. And, and, and they all sort of make up. But it's tense and it's it's just a difficult life. And it's a life of faith, and you know if you're walking in faith, it's not always easy. But God's presence is clear if they're just paying attention, and they should be, because there's nothing else to do in the wilderness, right? But but how quickly we forget. And so we get to Numbers chapter 13. And in Numbers 13, it says, This is watch God's grace. After all this negativity of the people of Israel, the complaining, the quail incident, Miriam and Aaron, and now the Lord speaks to Moses again. And renewing his promise to Moses. Why? Because God is faithful to the promise, the covenant he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And so here he is, despite the disobedience, despite the murmurings of the people of Israel, God is still faithful. It is so encouraging. And he speaks again to Moses. And how much we are so desperate right now for a fresh word from God. And so many of us have had vision before and thought, you know, these promises that God has given us about life and the future. And then our own, sometimes our own. Decisions have put us in a place where maybe we're not in a place to receive God's blessing, and yet God still overloads us with his faithfulness. And so here he comes to Moses after all of these uh, these days and, and about a year into their leaving Egypt, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which, underline this, which I am giving to the people of Israel. This is critical. In fact, so critical, it's the first point. When my faith looks ridiculous at best, Start with what God has said. So that's our first point in tonight's teaching. I'm gonna come back to it, but let me give you a little bit more story, all right? But this is critical because the entire chapter starts with a promise that God has already made to the people of Israel, but now is renewing to Moses and saying, all right, here it is. I've called you out of Egypt to go into the promised land, but remember, the promise was back from Abraham. This wasn't just a Egypt promise. This was way back when God called Abraham and he promised him the land. Now, they're about to enter into the promised land, okay? And so God renews the promise to Moses and says, you know, send 12 men. And so he says 12 men, maybe it is a test of faith. He could have just had them all walk in, but instead maybe it's an excitement to build up this excitement of seeing here's what God is giving you. Just take a glimpse of all God has given you. Come back. Maybe God thought that they would, God knows everything, but you know, like the idea is that they would go in and see the good land and come back and encourage the people and go in and possess the good land that God has given them. But it doesn't go according to that script. In fact, the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel, not which I'm going to think about giving, not which I am going to try to give, but which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send the man, everyone, a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness parent according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who are heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names, all right? And I'm telling you, when you know the rest of the story, you're going to be like, I. Sometimes you want your name to appear on a list. And here you'd be like, I wish my name wasn't on that list, except for two guys. And so he goes through and names them. Uh, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachor. From the tribe of Simeon, Shabbat, the son of Shahori. From the tri- tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, I'll Tell you a little bit more about Caleb in a minute. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the Son of Sodi from the tribe of Joseph, um, that is from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi the son of Susi, and on he goes, and and uh, and these were the names of the men whom Joseph sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hoshea the son of Nun Joshua. All right. Uh, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negeb and onto the, up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps uh, or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there are trees in it or not. So it's a recon operation. He says to them, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. So God's like, just, no, just go look, just bring, you know, like what's your appetite? So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of to Reho. They went up into the Negev and they came to the Valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. And if you know anyone in the Middle East, we are obsessed with pomegranates and figs. My dad, this is like his food. He's in heaven right now eating pomegranates and figs. I guarantee you that. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people cut down from there. So the grapes were huge, like Costco grapes. Have you seen those things? They're like grapes on steroids. I don't go to Costco anymore. I'm scared to, but, but if you've been there in the past. At the end of 40 days, so they go on this mission for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. So now the setup is that they should be so excited. Here's what God is promising us. Here's what happened instead. They told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, but the people who dwell, isn't that how we approach the life of faith? Well, I know God's word says blah, 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 but I know God has promised this for you, but look at my life, but look at mine. This is, we do this all the time. We put these buts and we hinge God's promises on my buts. But the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites who dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Now, here's a good but. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. We're talking about being unshaken. This is what we're looking for. So... when my faith looks ridiculous at best. And to the eyes of 10 of the spies, they looked at the land that was great, but they saw the giants in the land and they thought that what God had promised looked ridiculous at best. Then all the congregation You want to see the impact of negativity, by the way, if you are prone to negativity, like I have been in my life, uh, it impacts the people around you. It will impact your families. It will impact your communities. This is why we need to practice praise because negativity brings down, look at this. Then all the congregation, they went from 10 men who were upset about the situation to all the congregation raised their loud cry and the people wept that night. Instead of rejoicing over the fruit that God was going to be giving them, they're crying, they're weeping, not a cry of joy. It says, And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And the answer, anybody who's listening to this lesson would be shaking their head and mortified because the answer is no, you were slaves in Egypt. You're under the control of Pharaoh. You had no hope. You were moaning and groaning in Exodus chapter 2. Remember, it was their cry of, of groaning and pain that raised up to God so that he heard their cry and saved them. And now they're dreaming of that past life. They've forgotten the goodness of God. And isn't that where most of our sin is rooted in? Our complaining is born out of forgetting the goodness of God in our lives, but not only are they blaming God and they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They don't want God, they don't want Moses, they don't want the leadership that God has given them. So Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, there's two good guys who... are are meditating and thinking on the goodness of God still. So Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. While the ten spies looked at the giants in the land, Joshua and Caleb's eyes were fixed on their God. They didn't even see the difficulties in front of their eyes because they were looking higher. Then all the Quran you say, how did the people respond? This is so sad because this is how mumbling and complaining can bring a nation down. It says all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Instead of, instead of changing perspective, the, the, the people wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? This all, this havoc was rooted in faith. The people of Israel stopped believing the goodness of God despite all they had seen him do. When your faith looks ridiculous at best, you're looking at a life situation right now, like the people of Israel. And humanly speaking, it would be ridiculous to think that you can go into a land and fight giants and take ownership of a land that is not yours, but God has spoken. And so here's point number one. When faith looks ridiculous at best, start with what God has said. You can't believe God without believing his word. To believe God is to believe his word, and in order to believe his word, you've got to be in his word. Why is it critical to spend time in the word of God? Well, because it tells you who God is. It's not like there's some magic, although the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, yet, the the strength and the power of the word of God is it's breathed by God. God has spoken his word through scripture, but it's also the way that the main way that God in 2020 has revealed himself to us. So over and over again, I catch myself looking through social media this week with all of the conversation, good conversation happening about the issue of racism. But what stands out is the people who are quoting Scripture, not in an attack way, you know, we're being accused sometimes when you quote scripture, you're using it to hit people on the head. No, but, but it does pierce people, doesn't it? But, but I want to move for a minute from God's general word to you, your life, your faith, your situation. How far have you drifted from what God has promised you? So we start Numbers 13 with God renewing his promise. He knows they're going to need the reminder, not just that he spoke to Abraham years and years ago, not that just he spoke to Isaac and to to Jacob, but again, God gives a fresh word to Moses and says, I'm promising the land of Canaan. When was the last time you sought the Lord and said, God, speak afresh to my heart over the situation in my life. And bring it to him people email me all the way how do i know what will spend time in the word look for it ask god he'll reveal himself to you through his word and so what we see affects how we feel but god's word remains constant you see the problem is that where we fix our eyes affects our feelings so the people visual they go they see the giants they get afraid that's normal but, but that's why we shouldn't fix our eyes on those things that are temporal because they're gonna affect the way that we feel and think. But when we fix our eyes on God and his character, he's constant. And so the way to have strength and self-control and stability is to constantly take your eyes off of the things that you see in this world, all of the difficulties, the obstacles, the things that stand in the way. You can make a list of those things and turn them to constant God. It's always the same yesterday, today, forever. The same God who delivered the people of Israel from Egypt It was the same God who opened up the Red Sea for them to pass through and was feeding them by manna every day. And it was the same God who had promised them the promised land. How we see affects what we say and the words of our mouth have tremendous power. We've already talked about that. And what we see affects how we react and our reactions have more impact than we might imagine. But we got to start with God's word. What has God said? So you're in your marriage and you're believing God for healing in your marriage. And you look at it humanly and you think there's no human way this relationship can be healed. But you go back to God's word and, and you see the promises that he's made about his covenants that are everlasting. And you see him walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And you see him saying that all things will work together for good. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you start finding those promises in God's word that will give you strength in the moment to endure to see the promise that he might be giving you for the situation in your life, whatever that may be, it doesn't mean God has given us a wish list and we can fill it out and say, okay, six things God's got to do in my life. I'm going to get a million dollars. I'm going to marry a beautiful man. I'm and that's, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about promises like Isaiah 41.10 that promises that he's going to strengthen us no matter what we're walking through. Maybe you need patience in the season of your marriage. He promises to give that in the difficult times. Maybe you need endurance as you wait for God to move you into an area of ministry that you wanna be in. You you just stay the course. You commit to being faithful and God will help you in it. Maybe you're facing an unusual illness right now and you can't feel enough physical strength. You know, that most great people like Amy Carmichael had a back injury, spent what, 14 or 18 years bedridden and wrote most of her books in bed during that season. She's not the only one. I don't know if you read Jesus Calling or not, but there's an example of an author who is physically very debilitated and she sold more books of her, whether you're a fan of her or not. She's sold more books. I read her book and she sold more books to Christians and to non-Christians about the Lord. And, and listen, she can barely get out of bed. She doesn't do interviews and, and, and on and on. The list is long of people who have met God in physical difficulty. Johnny, Eric Santada, another great example. And so what is it that you're going through? You go, man, I don't know how God's going to work out his promise in this. Well, you don't know yet. But as you fix your mind on what God has said. So go back to the promises. What is it that God has promised you? And how does it apply to the challenges that you're facing? Make this an exercise in your life. Go back and write down the thing that you're waiting on God for. Maybe you've prayed for a prodigal for yours. You can be I don't know. Does God is God gonna save this person or not? Well, listen, go back to God, who he is. He wants everybody to be saved. He can do the impossible. There's power in prayer, and so you start putting those promises face to face with the with the situation in your life that looks ridiculous at best. I have friends. There's a woman I follow on Facebook, and I've met her. She's a she used to be a, a leader in leadership at Lifeway, and her son was in prison, and I don't know the circumstances, I can't remember, I'm sure she told me at one point, but he recently got released, and it took prison to change his heart for God, and now he's ministering to other people in prison, and I think about when I met her, he was just in prison, and all of the weight of that, and all the heaviness of it, and now she comes on Facebook, they do these live videos together, and you see the power of God, and I know this woman has waited on God's promises for decades, and she's seen the fruit of it now, and some of us may see the fruit now, and some might not, Here's a second. By the way, I wanna I wanna mention something about Caleb while we're here before we go to the next two points and we wrap up. Caleb, the son of Jephthah, an interesting guy, you know. Oh, actually, here's let let me let me tell you a little bit more about Caleb. Um, He was one of the two who stood in faith uh, with God, and so uh, let me let me read a little bit more of our story as I. uh, let me do this. Let me give you point number two and then I'll keep going. When faith looks ridiculous at best, stop looking anywhere but up. We've sort of been talking about that. So number one was start with what God has said. Number two, stop looking anywhere but up. You got to look up. So the people of Israel looked forward. We got to look up. It's more important where the eyes of your heart are fixed than where the eyes in your head are looking. Okay. It's more important where the eyes of your heart are fixed. I can be looking at a kitchen sink. I can be looking, in fact, I, I, I ruined a kitchen sink today. So it's, Stressed about it. I can be looking at it and obsessing over it, or the eyes of my heart can be focused on the Lord and all of the gifts that He's given me in my life. And so, the eyes of the heart and the eyes of the face are two different things. And so, you might be looking at at life with your eyes, but what is your heart? What are the eyes of your heart looking at? And so, the Apostle Paul prayed consistently with Christians that the eyes of our heart would be open, that we would be enlightened in the heart. And so, that is where our power comes from. Comes from. It's more life giving to meditate on who God, God is than who my enemy is. The people of Israel meditated on the giants on the fact that they were grasshoppers in the face of the giants, but, but Joshua and Caleb meditated on the goodness of God and the power of God and the fact that God had gotten them through multiple prior uh, trials in the past. And so we can meditate on two things, our enemy or our God. And who is it that your worry is simply meditating on your problem over and over and over again? Prayer is meditating on the Lord, which is why when you pray, you stop worrying about the things that you're praying because your mind is not fixed on it. And so... Uh, Make that practical in your life today and it is safer to be more concerned about what God thinks than how people will respond to your faith. And so we see in verse 10, when the people heard the proclamation of faith by Joshua and Caleb, they wanted to stone them. And so Joshua and Caleb could have been afraid of the people and shut up and recanted, but they did not because they understood that their life was in the hand of the Lord. And so the people could have threatened to stone them, but only God could protect them. And God, in fact, they were the only two that survived, even though the entire people wanted to stone them. They were the only two of that generation that survived. How do I know? Well, keep reading. And verse 13 of Numbers 14, but Moses said to the Lord, here's Moses pictured as an intercessor. Again and again, Moses is used as an intercessor, somebody who stands between man and God. And he's, of course, in the future Jesus is the perfect intercessor but Moses is a picture of the intercessor and and if you study the life of Moses one of my favorite prophets you'll see how often and again he was used as a picture of a person who interceded on behalf of the people and so here again he comes to God and says then the Egyptians he pleads and he says then the Egyptians will hear of it He says, like God don't kill them because then the Egyptians will hear of it for you brought up this people in your might from among them and they will tell the inhabitants of the land they have heard that you O Lord are in the midst of this people for for you, O Lord, are seen uh, face to face and your cloud stands over them and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised saying, the Lord, this is the power of God. You want to know the power of God? Moses says, and now please let the power of the Lord be great. And here's how he defines the power of God the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. To so God's character is slow to anger and abounding in love, but he's a just God where sin has to be repaid. And so the only way to... Have those two sides of God meet perfectly, became in the person of Jesus Christ. God became man, was born, died on a cross to bear the burden of sin so that this just God could indeed offer punishment for sin on our behalf, but also continue to show us steadfast love and patience so that we can approach God with confidence because of Christ. Do you see how even here we see there's so much uh, confusion when it comes to God in the Old Testament. People think, well, was he a mean God? And in the New Testament, he's a good God because Jesus in the New Testament, and God, it's the same God. He's the same God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And he's a God who is just, and he is a God who is mercy and love. And the only way to execute both of those things was to, because of love, send Jesus to die for us on the cross. And so here, a uh, pardon is granted, but there's a price that had to be paid. Of course, uh, Jesus paid the price for us today, but back in that day, a price had to be paid. So the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it, but my servant Caleb, because he, has a different spirit that has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. The last point in our teaching today is this, when faith looks ridiculous at best, you will have a choice to make that will affect the rest of your life. The first point was when faith looks ridiculous at best, start with what God had said. Uh, secondly, when faith looks ridiculous at best, stop looking anywhere but up. And thirdly, when faith looks ridiculous at best, you, you will have a choice to make. You will have to, ch- to choose to believe God or to believe the lies around you and that choice will affect the rest of your life 10 spies ended up dying by a plague only to survive Joshua and Caleb let me tell you a little bit more about Caleb as we come back here and 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 wrap up here in the next few minutes Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of course, Joshua, we know, and and there's a lot to be said about Joshua. Uh, He wrote a book, uh, the fifth book of the Bible, there's his name, and he became the leader after Moses. And uh, we get a glimmer of Joshua in Exodus chapter 32, where he was the right hand of Moses. There's multiple stories about Joshua and his faith. And uh, from early on, he was a commander of the army. But Caleb, you don't know that much about him, but we do know who he is. We're told that Caleb in chapter 13 of Numbers is the son of Jephunneh. Jephunneh was a man who was a Kinezite and you can follow that tribe all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. The Kinnezites were people who lived in Canaan when God made the promise to Abraham that he was going to give him the land of Canaan. There were people in the land of Canaan and one of those people was the Canaanites. And the Kinezites. And those Kinezites uh, were the ancestors of Caleb. And so um, in uh, uh, later on in Numbers 32, verse 12, when Caleb is referenced, he's spoken of as uh, somebody from the tribe of Judah. And you go, well, how? If he's a Kinezite, how is he from the tribe of Judah? And and, and, and and the logical conclusion, as you follow this sort of lineage of Caleb, is that his family made a decision to follow the Lord. And so a lot of the people from the land of Canaan became part of uh, the followers of the Lord by seeing the life of Abraham. And this was, again, by faith, the Kinezites, some of the Kinezites, not all of them, became a part of the people of Israel. And so here's Caleb, who isn't even one of the original uh, blood you know, through the 12 men. He was grafted in like Ruth the Moabite, who became of the people of Israel, like Rahab, who was grafted in. Here's this man, Caleb, who's grafted in by faith and so of all the spies to take a stand for the lord it is an outsider who had by faith believed this god and this is awesome and so caleb the uh, the Kinezite, the son of Jephunneh, didn't just stand in faith here. He was about age 40, but we'll catch him in, John, in Joshua chapter uh, 14. And, and it's an awesome ending to his life as well. So, so Joshua and Caleb make it. So the, that day in the wilderness, uh, the entire an entire God basically, uh, uh, instead of having him go right into the promised land, they end up going through the wilderness for another 40 years. If you ever wonder why the people of Israel spent 40 years making it into the promised land, well, because they didn't believe God. It started with murmur and complaining because they didn't like what God had given them and it moved to challenging God and then it moved into God giving them this punishment and out of it they were 40 years in the wilderness and and at the end of 40 years uh, then all of the generation who had left Egypt were dead so now is the new generation who would see the promised land and uh, except for two men Joshua and Caleb and those two men by the way even Moses didn't walk into the promised land he looked at it from afar but Joshua and Caleb they Uh, went into the promised land. And and later in his life, it says in in Joshua 14, then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kinezite said to him, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Here is a man who understood what it meant to hold on to God's promise and to claim God's promise and bring it back to the Lord and to ask for God's promise, not because he made it up, but because God had promised it. So now uh, he goes on and says, Verse 10 of Joshua 14, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he He said these 45 years in the to- since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. Mom, you have no excuse. Look what uh, Caleb says. He's 85 years old and he says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my, my is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with Great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. So he still planned on fighting for what God had promised him. It wasn't going to come easy. He would go into the land and fight for it. But listen, Caleb didn't just walk by faith. He passed it on to his daughter. His daughter comes to him later. I, I don't know the reference. I just thought about her now, and and she comes to her father and she says, "Father, you've you've given me the land, but I'm going to ask you for the spring of water as well." He taught his kids how to live by faith. This man who was a Kinezite, uh, the son of Jephneh, who was an outsider, who by faith had become a follower of God. And he uh, chose to believe God and affected the rest of his life and affected his family. Of course, Joshua's life was affected because of his faith. But the people who uh, led this rebellion, um, of course, their life took a different turn. And the men in in Numbers 14, as we wrap up, the men, I said that before, but I really am wrapping up right now. And the men who Moses sent to spy out the land in Numbers 14, verse 36, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against them by bringing up a bad report about the land. The men who brought up a bad report of the land died by plague before the Lord. Of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. No wonder Joshua would later make, these, uh, make uh, the proclamation, choose you this day whom you will serve. We have a choice to make. Will you believe God, when faith looks ridiculous at best in your life, whatever it is that you're facing, maybe you're carrying the burden of what's happening in our country and you're asking God to speak to show you. Maybe you're in the middle of that. Maybe your stress is much more personal. Maybe you're embarrassed to even bring it up because no one would understand it's between you and God. I've gone through trials that if I told people, they'd think they're stupid trials. But for me, they've been life-forming as I've learned to surrender them to God. What is it that you need to choose to believe God in today? You go back to what God has said. Would you take your mind and eyes and the eyes of your heart off of the circumstances that you're facing? If you keep looking at the circumstances, you're going to be like a little grasshopper. You're not. You're the son. You're the daughter of the King of Kings. We belong to God's family, not to lord it over others, not to pridefully walk as if we got some special. No, on the contrary, those who know God are humble enough to admit that though we are nothing, we are saved by grace through Christ and the price He paid for us on the cross. And yet, that same Savior has promised in Romans 8:32, I think it is that he died for us how will he not much more freely give us all things so we choose to believe him tonight